Welcome to Closer to Christ, the sermon podcast from St. Paul's Lutheran Church and The Bridge in Muskego, Wisconsin. You can learn more about our ministries at stpaulmuskego.org. And now for this week's message. This sermon comes with a warning in that there's a lot to cover. So moms and dads with little ones, if you need the designated hitter for extended innings, get those extra Cheerios out now. Get that mindset going. How do we navigate this? There's a lot here in this text. I'll move as quickly as I can. Tried to pair and cut, but Lord knows. All right. God's grace, his mercy, his peace belong to you. From God the Father, through his Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Dear younger me, regrets. What would you write in a letter to your younger self? Dear younger me, I shoulda, coulda, woulda. Dear younger me, where do I start? If I could tell you everything that I have learned so far, then you could be one step ahead of all the painful memories still running through my head. I wonder how much different things would be, dear younger me. Do you recall the story of David and Bathsheba? David was the king of Israel 1,000 years before Jesus walked the earth. He was the king of God's people. Bathsheba was the wife of another man named Uriah the Hittite. We find their story beginning in 2 Samuel 11 and 12. The Bible tells us this in the beginning of that cha- those chapters. In the spring, when, da- when kings go off to war, David stayed in Jerusalem. It's implied that David was neglecting his duty. It was time to lead God's people into battle. Instead, he had won some battles. Life was getting cushy. Maybe he was getting soft. He said, Joab, general, take the army and go. I'm going to stay home. But the lack of things to do got him in trouble. There was a night he could not sleep, and he went up on the roof of his palace. And as he was walking around the roof, he saw a beautiful woman next door bathing. And he sent a servant to find out who she was. And the servant came back and said, well, she is the wife of Uriah the Hittite. And David sent for her and brought her to the palace, had her brought to the palace. And he slept with her and she became pregnant. You see, Uriah the Hittite was one of David's mighty men, listed in 1 Chronicles 11, one of his trusted fighters in his army. David knew him. Uriah was where he was supposed to be, on the front lines of the battle, not at home. And David thought, how do I cover my sin? Bathsheba is pregnant, but not by him. And so David schemed, and he sent word to Joab to have Uriah sent home from the front. And David tried to convince Uriah to go home. 
and spend time with his wife, but Uriah would not because his comrades in arms were still in the, at the battlefront. And so in desperation, David comes up with another scheme. He hands a note to, to Uriah. Go back to Joab and give him this important message. And Uriah, little did he know, he was carrying his death sentence. David told Joab this. Put Uriah out in front. Then withdraw from him so that he will be struck down and die. And that's exactly what happened. Uriah died in battle at the order of his king. David married Bathsheba and thought all was good. For a year, he lived in his sin. Until the day when God sent the prophet Nathan and Nathan told David a story about a man in his kingdom who had one little ewe lamb. And there was a rich man who had great flocks of sheep. The rich man was visited by some people, and rather than taking one of his own sheep, the rich man went and got the one ewe lamb from this poor man and sacrificed it and fed it to his guests. David became enraged, and he declared, this man should die for this thing that he has done in Israel. And Nathan looked at David and said, You are the man. You struck down Uriah the Hittite and took his wife, his lamb, to be your own. And we come to our text. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, The Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. But because by doing this you have shown utter contempt for the Lord, the son born to you will die. After Nathan had gone home, the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife had born to David, and he became ill. David pleaded with God for the child. He fasted and spent the nights lying in sackcloth on the ground. The elders of his household stood beside him to get him up from the ground, but he refused, and he would not eat any food with them. On the seventh day, the child died. David's attendants were afraid to tell him that the child was dead, for they thought, while the child was still living, he wouldn't listen to us when we spoke to him. How can we t now tell him the child is dead? He may do something desperate. David noticed that his attendants were whispering among themselves, and he realized the child was dead. Is the child dead, he asked. Yes, they replied, he is dead. Then David got up from the ground. After he had washed, put on lotions, and changed his clothes, he went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. Then he went to his own house, and at his request they served him food, and he ate. His attendants asked him, Why are you asking, acting this way? While the child was alive, you fasted and wept, but now that the child is dead, you get up and eat. He answered, 
While the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. I thought, who knows? The Lord may be gracious to me and let the child live. But now that he is dead, why should I go on fasting? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him, but he will not return to me. Then David comforted his wife Bathsheba, and he went to her and made love to her. She gave birth to a son, and they named him Solomon, from the Hebrew word shalom, for peace. Then the Lord, the Lord loved him, and because the Lord loved him, he sent word through Nathan the prophet to name him Jedidiah, a word that means loved by the Lord. This is the word of our God. Dear friends, we have a long driveway at our house. And sometimes I back out of the driveway too fast. You know, when life's all about me and it's my agenda, I got things to do. But if I'm driving out too fast, backing up, somewhere in there the Lord, the Lord nudges or sometimes slams my conscience, puts my heart in my throat as I think about my grandsons, five and two, who often like to play in the driveway. One of my greatest fears in life is to back over a little one. Think of the pain. Think of the guilt. Think of the self-loathing. Now imagine David's conscience and David's pain as he mourned the dying of his son that his sin, in a sense, had run over. The Lord in love pinned David into the co a corner with his sin and held him accountable for lust and adultery and scheming and murder and cover-up. Sin that lasted over a year, consuming David, eating at him, threatening to rob him of eternal life. How many in Jerusalem knew? How many servants talked? Did Joab keep a tight lip? But the Lord got into David's face in love. When David acknowledged his sin, Nathan said to him, The Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. It is faith. It takes faith to stay in this family, my friends, doesn't it? This family of faith. This family of God. It takes faith because, dear younger me, trust the God whose love is true. Trust the God whose love is true. You know, God knows that by nature we like to be in charge and to take charge. And when it comes to moral rights and wrongs, when we take charge, God calls that sin. As we overturn His rule, hurt happens. When it comes to the guilt of sin, there too we like to take charge. Minimizing it 
passing the blame to others. Well, you know, officer, I don't think I saw a speed limit sign for the last 20 miles. Are you sure you got that right? David took charge. After all, he was the king, the ruler of the land, and the winner of mighty battles. Surely he could orchestrate the events of his kingdom. And so he tried to bury his sin. He brought Uriah home from the front. And he literally got him drunk to get him to go home and spend a night with his wife. But Uriah had more integrity before the Lord God Almighty than his king. And Uriah would not go because his comrades in arms were still fighting. And so then David thought that he would hide his sin with another sin. And he schemed to end Uriah's life by the sword of the Ammonite. So that David could ride in like the knight in shining armor and marry the dead soldier's wife. David burying his sin. But don't forget, Joab, the general, for sure knew. And so then David tried to bury his sin in the passage of time. A full year in his sin. But David forgot that our God has a long memory of our sin when we hang on to our sin and won't let go in repentance and in this delusion that we can be in charge. The God who created us and the God who loves us knows better than we do how our sin is a dead end. And that hell is for those who hang on to their sin and say, this life is all about me at the expense of you, and at the expense of a relationship with our God. Yes, our sin is a dead end for us, but by God's grace, our sin is not a dead end for our God. God knows our sin, and he likes to bring it into the light. God sent a brother in faith, the prophet Nathan, Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You took his wife to be your own. You killed him by the sword of the Ammonites. Now therefore the sword will never depart from your house. Because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. Backed into a corner, David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. Does it not amaze you how poised God was and is to forgive? Instantly. But where would your mind and heart have been as you thought about Uriah's blood long dried in the ground around uh, Rabbah of the Ammonites and his body buried in that dirt while David for a year sat in comfort and, and pleasure on his throne. But thanks be to God that the Lord always deals with us, all of his people, in the view of the cross of his son, Jesus. 1,000 years after David, Jesus would walk the earth 
and create the season of Lent. As he set his eyes and his face to go toward Jerusalem to die for the sins of the world. And the father took the, all the sins of the world and put them on his son. The, the clean sins, the clean sins, and the bad sins. The sins that if someone else knew, oh my. Knowing what his son would accomplish for David, Knowing what his son accomplished for you and me, our God is poised to forgive. Our God loves to forgive. He loves to be in charge when it comes to forgiving. And so our Jesus, in teaching us the night before he died, said to his disciples, love one another as I have loved you. Have you forgiven everyone in your life? Or is there a person or two that you're kind of leaving out there, kind of squirming in their guilt, and you're not going to forgive them? Or maybe you are caught up in your own anger and contempt for someone because they have not apologized to you and won't own their sin. Maybe there's someone who died before they could apologize. Or repent of their sin. Jesus says to us, love as I have loved you. It's interesting how we pray every Sunday here at the bridge in the Lord's Prayer, the fifth petition. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. I love how the Gospel writer Luke records this version of Jesus' teaching on forgiveness. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. Notice that when it comes to our letting go of the hurt of sin of others against us, God tells us, forgive everyone. Let it go. Even if they're stuck in their heart in its sin, as far as I'm concerned, God says, forgive, let it go, hand it over to your Father in heaven. He will hold them accountable at the cross of His Son, either through faith or through unbelief. But know that at the cross of His Son, Jesus is poised to freely and wonderfully forgive. Because God loves to forgive, and He loves to be in control of that sin. Now you and I know, I believe, that it is only the power of God's forgiving of us that gives us the power and the ability to forgive others. And it's the power, it's the forgiving of others that God uses to free us from a sense of vengeance or contempt for others that can be a poison in our life, or like a boat anchor around our necks spiritually. God says, let go of this. Don't stand as though I am in control of forgiving you. No, God says, let go and hand it over to our God. Always remembering that God is poised to forgive. It's what he loves to do. Will you pray with me? A version of the Lord's Prayer. We'll pray it slowly. Let's pray it together. Our Father in heaven, 
hallowed be your name, your kingdom, your way of leading with the gospel. May it live in our lives as your will is done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. For the kingdom and the power and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen. David's ultimate response to God's forgiveness and to the consequences of his sin may surprise us at first. For God's forgiveness fueled David's trust that he could trust his God even as his child died. David moved forward in faith. Nathan had said, you are not going to die. But because by doing this you have shown utter contempt for the Lord, the son born to you will die. The Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife had born to David, and he became ill. David pleaded with God for the child. He fasted, lying in sackcloth. On the seventh day, the child died. Is the child dead? Yes, they replied. Then David got up from the ground, washed, put on lotions, changed his clothes, went to church and worshiped his God. Then he went to his own house, and at his request, they served him food, and they ate, and he ate. His attendants asked him, Why are you asking, acting this way? While the child was alive, you fasted and wept, but now that the child is dead, now you get up and eat. He answered, While the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. I thought, Who knows? The Lord may be gracious to me and let the child live. But now that he is dead, why should I go on fasting? Can I bring him back? I will go to him, but he will not return to me. Amazingly, David moved forward in faith. God's forgiveness fueled David's trust even as his child died. This God of forgiveness, David could trust to do what was best for his son. The God who tells us New Testament Christians that in all things, in all things, God is at work for our good. And as hard as it is for us to grab hold of initially, David got it. And he would have it no other way. The God of grace was now back in control of his life. And David worshipped the Lord. Now as we wrestle with that story, do we trust the love of God as David moved forward in faith? As God took the child's life? Do we trust that love? Remember this. Under God's law, David should have been stoned to death. But God spared his life. And then David trusted the God of his word, who had told the Israelites, parents are not to be put to death for their children, nor children put to death for their parents. Each will die for their own sin. 
David trusted God's forgiveness. David trusted God's care for his son. And he also trusted the Lord's plan to discipline, to teach. Because you have shown utter contempt for the Lord, the son born to you will die. You see, David's sin had been on display to many in his kingdom. Unrepentant sin for over a year as though David, the king, could be above God's law. And so, yes, the Lord led with love as he forgave David his sin and spared his life. But then the Lord followed up with discipline, consequences for sin, just like any good earthly father. Consequences for sin to help us think, to help us remember how to live for our God and in love for each other. And so the child did die. And the sword of war never left David's kingdom until he died. And the sword of strife entered his own household as the children lost respect for their dad and things went a little haywire. All of that from God. So that those who knew of David's sin would know that God is aware and that he's so serious about sin that he holds us accountable. So serious about sin that he sent his son to die for it. So serious about sin that he forgives us and then teaches us as we move on our way. Dear friends, imagine if our lives were transparent. Almost like we had thought bubbles above our heads as we're walking around life and everybody knew what everybody else was thinking. How cool, how cool would that be? You might put me in a timeout. Little discipline. Pastor, whoa. You might want to punch your buddy. Whoa, you thought that? You might, I might, we might not have any friends. But think about this. The Lord knows our thoughts, doesn't he? And our deeds, doesn't he? Every last one. Does that paralyze you with fear? Slow you down with regret? What do I do? God knows. The beauty of it is, if there can be beauty, the beauty of it is that our sin spurred on God to love. It spurred him into action. And he sent his son to die for the things we think and say and do that are sinful before God. The cross of Jesus in the darkness of Good Friday was the visible hammer of God's justice over sin. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me was hell itself for our sin. The grave is our reality still, but Jesus is empty. His grave is empty, so our grave will be too. New life forgiven. 
So for us as Christians, who needs thought bubbles for life to be transparent? Let you and I live free from sin and guilt and regret and let us love other people and let God's life in our hearts and in our lives shine forth so that people know who we are. That we belong to the King who forgave us and taught us how to forgive. That we belong to the King who forgave us and inspires us to live. And may we be so transparent in our living that people go, wow, can I have a piece of the God that knows you and the God that you know? Tell me about his love. And you and I will in humility share the truth about our God. Closing thoughts. Take some time one Sunday before worship or sometime when you're in the Trinity Cafe and it's quiet, maybe you're by yourself, and just sit down and look up high in the heights of the cafe. I've always been amazed at the Bible passages, four of them, one on each wall, that someone chose to fill that space. I couldn't get two of them. They're really long. I was out in the entryway and whoa. But he takes great delight in you he will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing from Zephaniah. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things, the thought bubbles of our life. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. And there's one wall let, left to go, and it is my favorite, that one. What does God require of us? To do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly before our God. Dear younger me, God will get in your face. He will hold you accountable for your sin. Trust the God whose love is true. We pray. Great God and Lord, we come before you today as your family. We thank you for this family. For Father, true family loves unconditionally. True family communicates. True family holds accountable for sin. True family leads the way in forgiving. And so we thank you, Heavenly Father, for founding the, your family on the blood of your Son, Jesus. The one who came into this world to show us not just what forgiveness is, but what the penalty and the cost for forgiveness looks like. We thank you that he shed his blood for the sins of the world and for the sins of me. Forgive us, Heavenly Father, for those times when we try to be in charge of our moral living and of our dealing with our sin. Thank you for always being in charge when it's this thing called forgiveness. Continue to be in our faces with your law that convicts us of sin, being right there poised to forgive with your love in Jesus. And help us then live our lives day to day to day, transparent before the world, 
We are sinners before our, our almighty God, but he has forgiven us in Jesus. And our goal is to love like our God. Dear younger me, trust the God whose love is true. Dear Lord, may we write that letter to ourselves this day and live for you. All these things we pray in Christ's name and all God's people say, amen. Thanks for joining us on the Closer to Christ sermon podcast from St. Paul's Lutheran Church and The Bridge in Muskego, Wisconsin. Closer to Christ podcasts are from our current sermon series and are released every Monday morning. For live stream services and other ministry information, please visit us online at stpaulmuskego.org.